Let us pray together. We thank you, dear God, for your word, which brings to life your life in our own lives, which brings to life your beautiful and abundant life in our lives. And we pray now that by the power of your Holy Spirit, may your word find receptivity and welcome and a home in each and every one of us. We pray through Christ. Amen. Visiting a family after the uh, birth of a child and then dedicating their child later on, uh, this is definitely one of my favorite, favorite things in ministry. And I was remembering this week how very early in my own ministry, I went to visit a family at a Chicago hospital. And uh, in that room, there was a rocking chair, and I got to sit in the rocking chair, and I got to hold their daughter to my heart. (laughs) Is there anything more wonderful than holding a newborn in your arms? I don't think so. Well, as I was rocking there, I was just filled with bliss and feelings of warmth, and it got warmer and warmer, (laughs) and then it got wetter and wetter, (laughs) and all of a sudden I realized the whole front of my shirt was soaking wet, and uh, the dear folks there, they said, Todd, this is your baptism for ministry. For our faith community, the uh, arrival of each and every new child, Josephine, and we're going to be dedicating Naomi and Martin later on because their family can't be with us. The arrival of every child reminds us of our sacred, sacred calling as a church to be their spiritual family, where each of them may meet and fall in love with Jesus. Come to know Him as Savior and Lord and begin to train, and it takes training, to train in His beautiful but challenging ways. And so today, as we dedicate Josephine to God and covenant to be the spiritual family to her and to all of our children, I think our two scripture passages today provide us with especially rich guidance about how we are to go about doing this together. So let's look this morning, first of all, at our reading from Luke 8. I invite you to turn to it now in your Bible or in your device. Luke 8. In this parable, Jesus helps us to see how God, like a farmer, is lavishly sowing seeds in our lives with abandon. God is not like your usual 
farmer. I don't think all farmers just throw seed hither and yon like we see in this story. The seed flies in all directions. It lands everywhere on the hard path, all over a rock-littered patch, in thorn bushes as well as into the rich, rich topsoil, the good soil for which our county is so famously known. God extravagantly sows the seed as widely as possible, confident always of its generative, life-giving power. And maybe you're sitting there this morning saying, well, what exactly is this seed? Jesus tells us in verse 11, it is the Word of God which brings to life God's life in our lives. And God is constantly and imperceptibly and secretly sowing this seed in our lives from beginning to end. Through Scripture. Through key relationships in our lives. Through worship this morning. Through life experiences. Through the beauty of creation outside these days. And through Holy Spirit promptings. Through all of these different ways, the seed of God is being planted in our hearts. And the beauty of Jesus' parable today, dear friends, is that the quality of this seed is never in question. It is good. Amen? It brings to life God's own life in our lives. And we need that. Amen? New love. New peace new holiness and wholeness, a new passion for setting things right in our circle of relationships and in our world. Wherever this seed actually finds welcome, it brings forth, Jesus says, a lavish harvest of amazing proportions, a yield, it says in verse 8, of a hundredfold, over the top. And for Jesus, the big question is not the quality of the seed. It is, the question is, the quality of the soil. So friends, this morning, what in us is packed down and hardened and needs to be loosened up and watered? What is that in your life right now? What thorns or rocks need to be removed. Be gone with them. How can you and I become better soil? More receptive. More welcoming to the seed that God is patiently, but oh so persistently planting all the time in our lives. Our second reading comes from 2 Peter, chapter 2, chapter 3, 
those brief words or sentences that Sue just read for us that so eloquently describe, and I confess I hadn't ever really thought about this deeply until this week, how patience patience is at the very center of God's character. You ever thought about that? Patience is at the core of who God is. The Lord is patient with us, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. In other words, God is working patiently, but persistently in history for all people to turn their lives Godward. In his new book by Alan Kreider, a prof of Samantha and mine in seminary, he has a new book called The Patient Ferment of the Early Church. And in it, Alan Kreider helps us to see God working with amazing patience with God's people and with us over many, many centuries to patiently work out God's purposes. In Jesus, he says, God's patience comes to full flower, is fully visible. And how is it this, you might ask? Well, Jesus refuses to manipulate outcomes through violence or coercion or domination. He has the power to call down 12 legions of angels. But does he? No. Why? Because love is patient. Violence, on the other hand, is incredibly impatient. It wants something now. And violence and coercion are willing to pay any price to get it. We live in impatient times. Jesus, we're getting to the heart of the gospel, reveals to us a God who refuses to save and redeem us coercively. Praise God. Who refuses to redeem us impatiently. Salvation is freely offered to all of us to all of humanity, and then God patiently waits for all of us to respond. As we heard in 2 Peter 3 today, to the Lord a day is like a millennium. And a millennium is like a day. Thank goodness. God is patient so that no one will be lost who can be saved. In the economy of God, in the salvation of God, no one will be lost who can be saved. 
And you might be sitting there thinking, preacher, what does that mean? I don't know, but God does. In China, we heard a story about a very impatient farmer who is such a riveting contrast to the good sower in Jesus' parable. In this Chinese story, maybe some of you have heard it, the farmer plants his crop, and as soon as it begins to grow, he becomes impatient with its growth. Maybe Clayton and Dick sometimes feel this way, or have in their years of farming. And so this Chinese farmer goes up in the morning and pulls up his crop an inch, each plant. He's going to make it grow faster. Well, that works for one day. Next day he goes out, pulls it up another inch. And any of you who are gardeners know where this story is going. The third day he goes out and his whole crop is lying flat on the ground, wilted. You see, through his daily impatience, through his daily coercion, he has managed to uproot his whole crop. So what might Jesus' parable and this Chinese parable teach us about the spiritual formation of our young? I think a great deal. I think a great deal. We patiently plant God's Word in their lives, caring for it, removing weeds, watering it lovingly, But the growth itself is not our work. The work is God's, as it says in 1 Corinthians 3.7. The growth is not our work. And so because of this, we are patient together as a community, never resorting to fear or coercion to bring anyone to faith. This is so important. For that would be to betray the very gospel of Jesus. And that would be to betray the time that God has given us. Instead, we patiently and persistently trust the goodness of God's Word, having experienced its generative and life-giving power in our own lives. Did you notice at the end of Jesus' parable, in the last verse, He calls us to patient endurance? Alan Kreider calls this patient ferment. And I like that. It's got a brewing aspect to it. Patient, 
ferment. And all of this is to help us understand that God's patience is never to be confused with passivity. Never to be confused with sitting on our hands doing nothing. And so you may have noticed today that I have been pairing patience and persistence together again and again. Patient persistence. Persistent patience. This is because persistence gets us to roll up our sleeves and to see that we, have all, we all have a role to play in the patient formation of our young. Some of us to be their Sunday school teachers. Some of us to be their mentors. All of us to be their friends. All of us have a crucial role to play in making East Chestnut a loving and safe and safe community where our young ones can put down faith roots and begin to blossom. I invite you to turn in your bulletin to the back page. to our purpose statement. I love this statement because it orients all of us toward a vision of patient but persistent spiritual formation. Let's let's read it together. Together, our purpose as a congregation is to be transformed by God's mercy, grace, and love, to introduce our children and neighbors to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, to equip one another to live peaceably and generously, and to contribute to the well-being of Lancaster City and the world. This mission statement helps us to see ourselves as a community that is following Jesus together, inviting others to join us in this journey, and is being transformed by God's mercy and grace and love along the way. That is who we are. And dear friends, as our congregation grapples right now with questions about conference affiliation, questions about sexuality. It's been slowly dawning on me, I'm a little thick-headed, but it's been slowly dawning on me that we could not be in a more teachable and formational moment for the young among us. This hit me like a big train three Sundays ago 
when I stood up here and shared with you some things in a congregational meeting, and I looked over to the first row, do you remember who was sitting there? Our whole high school youth group. Actually, the second row. Sitting there, listening, watching intently. Our entire high school group, I could feel them watching us. And perhaps even asking, is all of our church talk about going to each other directly, about speaking the truth in love, about bearing with one another in love, about refusing to make anyone an enemy. Is that all talk? Or is that actually our walk? Every breath we take, every move we make, they are watching us. Never thought I'd get that in a sermon. (laughs) But you know it's true. Every breath we take, every move we make, our young people are watching us. Will they see Jesus in me? And will they see Jesus in you? God help us. I believe that we come here every morning, every Sunday morning to hear the good news, so let me share it with you and close now. Because Jesus' parable does not end with birds devouring the seed and with rootless plants wilting in the blazing sun. That's not how this story ends. No, it ends with an absolutely bountiful and overflowing harvest. Wherever this good seed of God finds a home, there is a yield of a hundredfold. The arc of the moral universe may be long, But it will end with God's bountiful and overflowing harvest, with the reconciliation of all things. As God has promised in Isaiah 55, My word, my word, my word shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose. God's good purposes are sure and will be accomplished. Thanks be to God. Amen.